Joshua chapter 3. Joshua is the sixth book of the Bible. So if you're new to the Bible, that's where you would find it. Uh, there's a books, there are Bibles in the chairs in front of you. We'd love for you to turn there meet me there. Uh, you know, this past, uh, about a, a week ago, I read a fascinating article on New York Times that y- Yale University had its most popular class ever that was registered for this, this current semester. You have, have you guys heard about that? The most popular class in Yale's history. Yale's been around for over 300 years as a university here, all right? And so 1,200 students registered for this class. It's such a huge class that they had to change its locations twice. They were doing a live video feed at some point for a class. And now they hold it in a chapel that was big enough to hold 1,200 students. That's crazy, isn't it? The name of the class is Psychology and the Good Life. Basically, as the instructor says, she says it's a class on happiness. A class on happiness. Yale University. Isn't it fascinating that that 1,200 students sign up for a class on happiness? And Dr. Santos talks about the reason why she thought it wise to even offer the class. She says that she sees so many high school students deprioritize their happiness to gain admission to the university they want. And she causes the result then a mental health crisis at places like Yale. See, what she's noticing is that there are students who are coming in to Yale University stressed out stressed out, and then they come to the school there, and they got these high goals and responsibilities. In fact, one freshman named Alana Minez, she says this, she told the New York Times, she says, in reality, a lot of us are anxious, stressed, unhappy, and numb. The fact that a class like this has such large interest speaks to how tired students are of numbing their emotions. It's amazing. Dr. Santos, she says she works off the assumption that Yale undergraduates often connect life satisfaction, high high grades, prestigious internship, and good-paying jobs, but don't realize that they don't increase happiness. This is is remarkable to me as I saw this. Um, Of course, a lot of people on Twitter and on social media were kind of making fun of Yale, like, you're going to offer a class on happiness? 1,200 students, these are like the brightest minds, the brightest millennial minds in our country right now going to Yale University, some of the brightest, and you want a class on happiness? And so there are all kinds of jokes that were abounding. But I, I thought about this, this, this is fascinating to me, that college students, and it's not just at Yale, but it's throughout our country, are longing for something all of us long for, and it's happiness but they aren't finding it. They are in the college of their dreams, standing on the footsteps of the job of their dreams to make the money of their dreams, to live the life of their dreams, and they're unhappy about it. That's interesting, ain't it? And I think the reason for it, and many millennials are expressing that, that they're just unhappy with life. One out of five millennials, 20%, say that they're battling depression. 
And it's because of many of the pressures that have been placed upon them by parents and by society. There is a prevailing narrative in our, in our society, in our country, and all of us know this in our heart that, that we think, we may not believe this, but, but we wrestle with this, that if I just had a little bit more, I'd be happy. And so what happens is many parents raise these children saying, all right, you got to do better at school because when you're in seventh grade, you got to get into the right high school in eighth grade, after eighth grade. And after high school, you want to get to the right college so you can get the right job and make the right money and live a happy life. And so students are pressed with these expectations. And what we've missed is this, that our definitions of happiness are off, therefore our road to that definition is off. Think about this, man, and I, I think about, I want to speak to even parents for a moment here. Where are you pointing your kids? What are you making them believe is the road to happiness, and what have they begun to understand happiness to be? That, that's a question you've got to answer, because if you don't know what happiness is, you're going to make, end up going in the wrong direction to get there. As one man says, he spent his whole life climbing the corporate ladder only to find out that when he got on the top, he was leaning it against the wrong wall. And so what happens is we put pressures on not just our children, but on one another, and we start believing our societal narrative that says happiness is found when we've got more, and specifically more of money or more of things academic success, success, career success, athletic success, financial success. But really, this this isn't the priority we find in the Bible. And ultimately, it's not what God wants us to leave our legacy to be. Jesus himself says that I'm the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me, you'll bear much fruit. And Jesus says this in John 15, 11, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Jesus says, I am the source of all joy, of all happiness. And I hate to break it to the students of Yale and to many in our society, but a course on happiness that does not have Jesus as the source of happiness isn't going to deliver on what it's promising. But what are we living by? Not just, not just what are we saying, but how are we living? How are we modeling to a, a generation coming after us? How, how are we modeling to the people we've taken under our wing? What are we saying happiness to be? What are the priorities of life? I love this in Joshua chapter 3 and 4. We're going to look at today. It's a, it's a passage about legacy. It's, it's a passage that asks the question, when I'm gone, what, what's going to be remembered about me and the things I believed? When all is said and done, with the people who lived close to me, what will they think that my source of happiness was? Because the life you lead will, det- will determine the legacy you'll leave. Now, that's what I want us to understand. The life that you lead will determine the legacy that you leave. And don't leave a legacy pointing people to the wrong place. True happiness and joy is found in following Jesus. We come to Joshua chapter 3. I'm going to give us a backdrop about this for those who weren't here previously and just to put it back on our radar. The book of Joshua was written for the purpose of telling us a story of God's faithfulness to lead his people, Israel, 
into the land that he promised to give to them, the promised land. You may have heard of that. And Joshua was the leader of the Jewish people. Moses, the great leader, had just died. Joshua steps up. God says, Joshua, I'm going to use you as to, to be the leader to take my people into the promised land. Joshua is rightfully terrified by the task. He knows that in the promised land, there are giants that live there. Giants who are warriors. There are fortified cities. There are people who've been there a long time. They know the ins and outs. They know how to navigate the streets. And Joshua is expected to lead a people of a million into this land. And that's why in Joshua chapter 1, God says, Joshua, you got to be strong and courageous. And Joshua's probably thinking, like, how am I supposed to do that? God's like, my promise is with you. My presence is with you. And I'm going to protect you. Just go and follow me. Joshua sends two spies to spy out the land of Jericho. They meet a woman named Rahab who tells them that the people in Jericho are afraid. And those spies come back and they tell Joshua, good news, Joshua, the people of Jericho are afraid. They know that our God is going to make a way for us. And so that's where Joshua chapter 3 picks up. Joshua is there on the, once on the east side of the Jordan River. Jericho and the promised land is on the western side of the Jordan River. The only thing standing between Israel and the promised land at this point is a river. Now, it's no ordinary river. The Jordan River at this time was overflowing its banks, Joshua chapter 3, verse 15 tells us. The river was about 90 to 100 feet wide, and at its normal depth, it was between 3 and 10 feet. But this wasn't normal depth season. Chapter 3, verse 15 tells us it's the harvest season, so it's overflowing its banks, so we could expect it to be at least 10 feet deep, if not more. Joshua's got a million people to get across that 100-foot river with 10 feet deep deep waters standing between them. What's he going to do? What's God going to do? What we see God do is call his people to having an unwavering faith. And that faith will end up being the legacy that they leave. This, this faith, what they're going to do in these two chapters, determine the legacy that they leave because of the life that they lead. All right? I, 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 we, we, we need to think this, family. We need to be intentional about our lives. What's your obituary going to say about you? What are people going to say the legacy that you left behind? And there's all kinds of good things, but if it's not that you followed your God, you've missed the mark. I want us to see the kind of unwavering faith that Joshua had and the kind of unwavering faith he called God's people to have. And we're going to see three things here, three things about their faith that I want us to to follow, to emulate in our own personal lives. The third point relates to the stone that's in your hand, because you've been wondering about that, haven't you? Why, why, did, why did we get one of these when we walked in? If you didn't get one, there is one in the four years you exit. I'll talk about that in a moment. The first thing I want us to see is that in this story, we see that Joshua embraces God's leading for his life. And Joshua doesn't come with his own agenda, but he comes with God's agenda. Let's, let's look at Joshua chapter 3, verse 1. And in honor of God's word, let's rise to our feet if you're able to as I read Scripture. I'll read the the beginning section, verses 1 through 6. And then together we'll read verses 7 through 13, all right? I'll be reading from the English Standard Version, the ESV. So again, Joshua just heard the message from the spies. 
in chapter 3, verse 1, Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Shittim. And they came to the Jordan, he and all the people of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. At the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, As soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. He said, follow it? Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near it, in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Love that faith. And Joshua said to the priests, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. Let's read verse 7 and following to verse 13 together. The Lord said to Joshua, That they may know as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And Joshua said to the people of Israel, Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Behold, now therefore, take up twelve men. Rest in the waters of the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan shall be cut off. The waters come and in one heap. Amen. Amen. This is God's word. You may be seated. God gives Joshua some instructions, and Joshua is responsible to follow them. The first thing I want us to understand, family, is that if we want to leave a legacy of faith, we've got to embrace God's leading. Embrace God's leading. Joshua chapter 3, verse 1 tells us that he stands, that they were camped in a place called Shittim, and that they were then to go to the Jordan River. They're about 10 miles away from the river. They get to the Jordan, and they're there for three days. And God gives Joshua particular instructions. In verse 3, Joshua commanded the people, as soon as you see the ark of the, Lord, ark of the covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. God tells Joshua to follow the Ark of the Covenant into the waters. Notice Joshua's not led by his gut. He's not led by his heart. He's not led by what feels to be the right thing to do. He's led by God himself. God says the Ark of the Covenant. And you might not be familiar with it, but it's a, it's a box overlaid with gold made of great skilled craftsmanship. And in that box held the Ten Commandments, the rod of Aaron, and a bowl of manna, all of which symbolized different uh, times in the wilderness when God's people were wandering there. And what it was then was a reminder that God would lead his people. 
And so when they followed the ark, it was as if they were following God himself. And God says, I want you to follow me into these waters. And family, I know there's a lot of times in our lives we got big decisions to make. And I've got to just just, uh, plead with you to not make it based on your gut feeling. Don't, Don't just make big decisions based on what seems to be right. But you say, God, what do you want me to do here? You've given me your Holy Spirit. Jesus calls him our helper, our counselor. You've given us your word, and Psalm 119 said it is a light unto our feet. God has given us direction. Let's follow him where he wants us to go, because that's what we want people to know, that we follow our God. We don't just go off of what we think is right. And so Joshua tells his people to do this very thing, follow the Ark of the Covenant. But then God tells Joshua, but make sure you keep a distance. He says in verse 4, about 2,000 cubits. Now, a cubit was about the length of your finger to your elbow. That's how they did measurements, all right? And that's about 18 inches or so. 2,000 cubits then is about 1,000 yards. That's, that's 10 football fields. It's just over half a mile. God's telling Joshua and his people, stay at a distance. Follow me, but don't get too close. There's, there's a beautiful thing that God is demonstrating there. The first thing he's showing his personal nature, how present he is, but he's also reminding them of his holiness. Don't don't approach him nonchalantly. We serve a holy God who is other than us, who is also a merciful God who has come among us. And of course, he's done that in the most beautiful ways through Jesus, who is God with us. And he tells Joshua to follow him. We've talked before how the unknown could be unnerving, can't it be? And God tells Joshua, the reason you were to follow me at a distance, he tells him there in verse 4, do not come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. What I love is this, this image of you have not passed this way before. Now, certainly this is a literal statement. They've never been across the Jordan River as a people. And so literally, they've never gone that way, but I can't help but see it drip with spiritual image. It's like God saying, you've, you've never traveled this way physically, but you've never gone this way of faith before either. You've never had to trust me like you're going to trust me now. And you know, all of life for us is kind of a, you have not gone this way before, isn't it? We stand in the foot of a new week in front of us, right in front of us. You've never been at tomorrow. You've never been at next Friday. You've never been at April of 2018. You've never gone that way before. And so while we've maybe never traveled certain paths physically, God has reminded us that we don't know the future. We don't know what tomorrow holds. But what God tells Joshua is to follow him, to follow his leading. I know many of us stand at the threshold of some really big decisions in life. Some of our decisions are already past tense, and we're looking forward saying, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know where the next paycheck's going to come from. I don't know how we're going to pay off our, our mortgage. I, I don't know what God's calling me to do. I don't know how I'm going to live on mission. And God's saying, you've got to trust me. You've got to walk by faith and believe me. Don't get ahead of me. Keep a distance, but follow me. Follow me. That's what he tells Joshua to do. And so Joshua demonstrates 
through his lips and ultimately through his actions what a life of faith entails. The legacy that Joshua leads is a legacy of one who followed his God and didn't get ahead of him. And that's what God wants for us to do, is to embrace God and his will. The second thing is to expect God to come through. It's crazy in verse 5. And Joshua said to the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. I love how matter of fact Joshua is here. Joshua doesn't really necessarily know what's going to happen, but he knows God's got to get them through that Jordan River somehow. And he tells them, all right, God's telling me to move forward. And he's saying, let's expect God to do something big. Tomorrow God will do wonders among you. He's going to do a wonder-filled kind of thing. I think what God wants us to remember is that God is a God who does the extraordinary. And a lot of times we don't expect from God because we become numbed by circumstances. Our faith is weak because maybe we haven't seen God come through in other times and we think that God is not for us. And, and Joshua reminds us that God wants to do marvelous things in our midst. First and foremost of them is to transform our lives by the power of the gospel. And he tells, Joshua tells the people expect God to do something when we get to that Jordan River. You know, it reminds me of the great missionary William Carey. In 1793, he went out to India to be a missionary there. And he was known for this great quote. He says, attempt great things for God, expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God, expect great things from God. William Carey knew what it meant to step out in faith and say, God, I don't know what you're going to do about these things, but I really believe you're working, you're leading, you're showing me the way to go, but I don't know what it's going to look like. And William Carey stepped out. He went out to India. He attempted a great thing for God, and he saw God do great things. He served there for 41 years. He experienced great suffering, but also saw fruit. 700 people came to know Jesus through his ministry in those 41 years. He translated the Bible into Bengali and six other primary languages in India. He led social reforms in the land. He attempted a great things for God, and he expected great things from God, and God delivered. As we go throughout this series, family, we're going to see God's people constantly confronted with faith-filled decisions. And that really is our lives. It's not coast, right? walk by faith and not by sight, saying, God, how are you going to use me at the workplace? When you go in tomorrow, teacher, medical professional, laborer, businessman, businesswoman, when you, when you go into work tomorrow, you're saying, God, how are you going to use me? Student, when you're at school, God, how are you going to use me? I want to expect you, God, to show up and to work through me in mighty ways. Maybe God's stirring your heart for other things, for mission work, to lead in other facets in society. Expect great things from God, though. Step out in faith. And Joshua has a reason for believing this. It's what he talks about, God, what he says about God. Look at verse 9. Joshua said to the people of Israel, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. Joshua speaks of a personal God. And in verse 10, he says, here's how you shall know that the living God is among you. He calls him the living God, not just the Lord your God, but the living God. He's a God who's at work. He's a God who is doing things in our lives. He is not a dead God like the gods 
of the Canaanites of the land they're going into. He's not a, a God who puts things in order and is standoff. Our God is at work in each of our lives. But then he calls him the, the Lord in verse 11, the Lord of all the earth. This word Lord is not the, the name of Yahweh. It's the, the name Adonai. This word Adonai speaks of God's ownership, his rulership. And Joshua says, the reason we're expecting great things from God here is because the Lord of all the earth is with us. To say that God is the owner of all the earth is to, is to say that nothing is going to stop his plan. Our God intervenes, Joshua's saying. Our God works for the good. Our God answers prayer. Our God convicts us. Our God gives us joy. Our God is alive. He says laws of nature can't confine him. He's the Lord of all the earth. The science can't counteract him, and waters cannot contain him. And Joshua knows that God's about to do something here with this Jordan River in a way that only God could do it. Joshua was told by God that God was going to use Joshua as he used Moses. That God was going to make Joshua the leader of his people as he made Moses the leader of his people. And Joshua already started that by sending out spies into the land, but now they're ready to enter the land. And what God is about to do is something that God did for Moses when they exited Egypt. You might recall that story when they stand there at the Red Sea. And the Egyptian army is coming close, ready to overtake God's people. And they've got only one way out, and that's to cross through the Red Sea. God tells Moses to put a staff in the water, and he parted the waters, and he went through on dry ground. And here God tells Joshua, you tell the Levites to step foot in that waters with the Ark of the Covenant. And God says in verse 13, watch as I cause the waters to stop flowing. Well, God does this very thing. As soon, in verse 15, as soon as those bearing the ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the ark were dipped in the brink of the water, now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the times of harvest, the waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away. God parted the Jordan River for them. God caused that 90 to 100 foot wide river 10 feet deep to, deep to stop in order for his people to enter the promised land. Joshua knew God was going to do something. I don't know if he knew that God was going to do that. But God did something amazing at that moment. And it happened because Joshua embraced God's lead in his life. See, our God is a living God. He's the Lord of all the earth, and he wants to use you and me. And that's the kind of legacy we want to leave. We want people to know us by name as one who follows God's lead, who expects our God to come through, who trusts in our God when circumstances don't make sense, when we're up against a wall or a river. That's what Joshua's God did. And they walked on dry ground. Verses 17, verse 17 tells us. They embraced God's leading. They expected God to show up. But this third thing is a thing that I really want us to hone in on. They explained what God did. 
You notice in chapter 4, they crossed the Jordan River. And you think this is a tremendous miracle. But you know and I know that we are very forgetful kind of people. We, we forget how God has come through. We forget the things that God has done for us. And Joshua knew how forgetful the people could be because he, he was there in Egypt. Joshua was one of the slaves in Egypt. He saw God part the Red Sea. He saw God drop manna from heaven to feed them in the desert. And when they complained about the manna, he saw God bring in quails to eat. He saw God pour water from a rock. He saw God smite their enemies. And he saw God's people say, God, you can't get us through. And Joshua was with them for those 40 years in the wilderness. And so they crossed this Jordan River. Joshua's like, we are not going to forget this. We are not going to forget this. Family, I want you to start thinking even now. What has God done for you? How has God come through? What are some wonder-filled kinds of things he's done in your life? If you are a Christian today, look no further than the cross of Jesus. The Bible tells us in in, uh, Ephesians 2 that we were born enemies of God, hostile to God. We were dead in our sin. We were zombies walking dead. And it says in Ephesians 2, verse 4, but God, who was rich in mercy, saved us. And he did a wonderful thing, something we couldn't do on our own. And he gave us new life when we put our faith in Jesus, believing that he died on the cross for our sins and rose from the dead so we can have a new life. God has done that if you are a child of God for you today. And I know he's done that and more. What are the things he's done for you? And maybe you're looking and you say, man, I don't know God that way. I don't know God that personal way. For me, he's not a living God. He's a far God. For me, he's not the Lord of the earth. He's just some distant God that I don't know. And, and God wants you to know you can know him personally today. Joshua calls him the Lord, your God, to his people because they said that's our God. And the way that happens for you is when you believe that Jesus died for you and you turn away from the things that you rebelled against God with and say, God, I'm going to follow you instead of those things. What has God done for you? Well, Joshua says in chapter 4, verse 1, when all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, take 12 men from the people, from each tribe a man, and command them, saying, take 12 stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the 12 men from the people of Israel, whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe. Verse 5, And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come, What do those stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them what the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. God says, I don't want you to forget this. And people, we can't forget this. Grab a stone from the middle of this Jordan River and put it on your shoulder. You got a stone in your hand today. It's not on your shoulder. Sorry, we we didn't have them big enough. Uh, Home Depot didn't have those ones. He says, take that stone that you got out of the river as you walked past it and put those stones on the camp that you stay tonight. 
one from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. 12 stones there. And what he says in verse 6 is, when your children ask in a time to come, and your kids will ask, if you're a parent today, you know kids will ask questions. All kinds of questions. And they're going to walk by those stones and say, why are there a heap of 12 stones standing by the Jordan River? And God says, I want you then to tell them how I came through for you. I want you to tell them what I did for you. I want that to be your legacy. So that when people remember you, they remember how you followed me, how you expected me to do great things, and I want them to know that you bragged about how I came through for you. That's the legacy to leave. Not not, not pushing, saying, you know, we got to live happy lives, although God brings happiness. But let's define it by following him. Uh, let's look at him as the source of true happiness as we follow Jesus. What kind of legacy will you lead? Well, today's the Super Bowl. Last week, Tom Brady was named MVP at 40 years old, the oldest person ever to receive the award of MVP. That's, that's going to be one of his legacies. A few years ago, Aaron Hill, a baseball player, hit for the cycle twice in one season. That means in one game you got a base hit, double, triple, and a home run. That, that's part of his legacy. You go to Washington, D.C., you see monuments that are pe- part of people's legacy. All of us will leave a legacy of sorts. But our legacy will depend on the life that you lead. What kind of legacy will you lead? leave? What kind of life will you lead? I want, I want to just park here for two, two last things here. I want to speak first to parents, all right? What do your children know about the substance of your faith? I just want to tell you what great opportunities and privileges you have to point them to the God who saved you, if indeed you've put your faith in Jesus and he saved you. These rocks I gave us, I want us to all take these out. And I want you to write a word on this. You don't have to write that word now. You probably don't have a Sharpie on you. But, but I want you to write a word that reminds you of what God has done for you in your life. And I want you to take this rock and put it prominently in your home or put it somewhere that's going to remind you often, maybe on your nightstand, on your living room table, on your coffee table. And when people walk past the stone and ask you, what does that mean? I want you to tell them what your God has done for you. Maybe you're not a parent today, or maybe you're a parent and you're walking with others, or maybe you're not a parent and you're walking with people, you're discipling people, or maybe there's people in your life who know about your faith. I want you to tell them what God has done for you. I want this to be a stone of remembrance. But, but notice, God tells Joshua the story, the, the stone is just uh, it's supposed to trigger a story. It's not about the stone, it's about the God who made the reason for the stone to be there. See, the story is not simply that God would do a miracle, although he does. And it's not that Joshua is recognized as the leader of Israel, although he is. It's not that people would leave a memorial, although they do. But it's about who all of this points to. And it's the fact that it points to God and how he intervenes in our lives. Chapter 4, verse 24 says, The goal of all this and so that all the people of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty and that you may fear the Lord your God forever. 
Family, I, I want us to be a church. I want us to be a people that live life on purpose and not on accident. I, I want us to think about our lives. I know some of us today have more, they have, they have more in your, your, your rearview mirror than you have throughout your windshield. And there are others of us who have less in our rearview mirror and a lot more in our, through our windshield. You, you're looking at life, though, and I want you to think, what will people remember about me? And my hope and prayer is that they would remember that you loved your God, that you put your faith in Jesus, that you walked by faith and you followed your God wherever he took you. My prayer is that people would know this about you. So use these stones of remembrance. Make a memorial for God. Don't worship the rocks. Worship the God to whom the rocks point. Don't let your story be forgotten. Let's make disciples. Let's walk with each other. Let our young people know that others who who, who, uh, follow our leadership know that there is a God in our life who's made a difference for all of eternity. That's what Joshua chapter 3 and 4 are. They're getting ready to now enter the promised land, but they need to set their gaze upon God the same way he wants us to do each day. Let's pray together, family. Father, I thank you, Lord, for all the ways that you've come through for us. God, I thank you, Lord, that we have stories to tell. And, and so, Lord, I know sometimes we forget them, Lord. God, I know sometimes we lose sight of, of what you've done among us, and we let life's challenges and burdens take our focus off of you. And so, Lord, I pray that today, as we go home and as we think about these stones and we think about the word we want to put on these stones to tell about your deliverance, God, I pray that you would use these stories to bring your name much fame in our household, among our friends, among the people that we know, Lord. God, remind us that the life that we lead will influence the legacy that we leave. And so as we walk broken and people who uh, have shortcomings, may we rest in your grace but make a difference, God. God, help us step out in faith, be it in the mission field, like a place like Haiti. Help Help us step out in faith, be it opening our home, to the least of these, to children, to help out families in our community. God, help us make a difference being on mission through our RCs, our real communities. But above all, Lord, may we walk by faith, trusting you. We give this all to you. We pray this in the name of Jesus.